part of the Sermon on the Mount, found in Matthew, the sixth chapter, beginning to read at the nineteenth verse. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is sound, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is not sound, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Amen. And from that passage of Scripture, which is commonly called the Sermon on the Mount, we use it as a stepping stone to this sermon on the A-Mount. It's a type of sermon, I must warn you, that most people do not like to hear. And if it's any consolation to you, it's a sermon most preachers don't like to preach. But the sermon has to be. And you're probably saying to yourself, well, if he doesn't want to preach it and I don't want to hear it, why the Sermon on the Amount? It's a very good question. I have four answers for you. The first is simply, for some reason or another, whether we accept it or not, like it or not, the truth still remains God is interested in specific amounts that we give to him. Yes. Not just in the general idea of giving, but in the specific amounts that we do give. I think if you had to summarize the teachings of the Bible in a simple sentence, it would be simply this. A person's life depends not so much on what he gets as it does on what he gives. And if you want to go further to explain, the more one gives, of himself in time, talent, and treasure, the more he's going to get out of the meaning of life. Jesus, being the Son of God, was interested in amounts. You know, he noticed the widow with the might. You know, it was our Lord himself who said to a rich young man who was trying to find out how he could gain eternal life, go sell everything that you have, give it to the poor, and you will find your treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Everything you have, you see, that is an amount. God's more specific even in the Old Testament. He says you give a tithe, 10%, that is an amount. <laughs> 
And when you try to think that God is not interested in an amount that a person gives, he understands perhaps the principle of giving, but he doesn't understand the specifics in giving, and there's a big difference. So the first reason that we have to have a sermon on the amount is because God is interested in specific amounts. Secondly, because God is interested necessarily, then the church must be interested in specific amounts. You see, the church is not immune to receiving bills. The church, by being in mission, occurs debts or has to make payments. It's the way it's always been, even before there was a church. When the forerunner to the church it was merely Jesus and, and what, twelve disciples, they gathered together. Did you realize there was no president? Jesus was the leader, but no president, no vice president, no secretary, but there was a treasurer. <laughs> you see, Jesus, in able to keep account and to know of the amount even within that little band of 12 or 13, he had to have some idea of how things stood. Now, when Jesus was crucified, when he was resurrected and ascendant, according to the theology of Paul, the body of Christ in the world today changed from his physical body to his spiritual body, and it's known as the church. And if you will study the history of the church, you will find that whenever it got into trouble, it was because of one of two reasons. One, it did not spend enough time in dealing with the amount of money that it had or needed. Or it was spending too much time in dealing with the amounts of money. Two things are needed for any church in any era the input of the Holy Spirit giving of himself unto us, and secondly, the giving of people voluntarily of their time, their talents, and their treasures. And without one of those two ingredients, no matter how good it looks, no matter what you call it, it's not a church. For the church needs the giving of God's Spirit, and it needs the giving of people's gifts. The way it is. When we get a bill here at the church, it's like you get it at home. The important thing is that last line, the amount that we owe. Mr. Bailey writes the checks and probably writes thousands during a year. Two places he has to insert, not good wishes or prayers, but amounts. And you know something? The gas company, bless their souls. The electric company, double bless their souls. The suppliers, you know, they really don't care what kind of business we're in. Well, we can tell them we're doing God's work. We can tell them that we're praying for them. <laughs> but that doesn't seem to matter, you know. All they want to know is whether or not we have the bread to pay the amount. And if we don't someday, we're going to meet here in silence and in darkness. But it is. 
not only is it that way in the business world, but it's that way in the church world. Let's, let's not try to think that the church operates by a different standard when it comes to economics. We don't. Even within our church, connectional system, you see, as United Presbyterians, we are in a connectional system. We are not an entity in unto ourselves. We, we belong with other churches through the presbytery, the synod, and the general assembly. And for us to operate the bigger church, United Presbyterian Church, combination of United Presbyterian local congregations, we have to know amounts. Probably in about uh, 15 days from now, we're going to receive in the mail over the administration building a little card. And on that, we are going to ask to write down our names and our, our numbers. The computers have caught on to the church now. We have a church number. And then there's going to be one line. What do you intend to give to the general mission of the United Presbyterian Church in the United States of America in the year 1976? They want one figure. Now, maybe, let me make one thing clear. I understand many Presbyterians don't understand this. No one, no one can tell a local congregation how much to give to the general mission program of our denomination. No one. That is determined by each and every congregation by itself. We determine how much we're going to give to the larger Presbyterian program. There's another thing in our budget. It's called assessment. Our church fathers, they like to call it apportionment. It takes a little of the sting out of it, but it's still an assessment. We have to pay $2.70 in 1976 for every member on our communicant roll. And that money goes to pay for the administrative expenses of our Presbytery of Pittsburgh, of the Synod of the Trinity, and the General Assembly offices in New York. That's for administrative expense. Over and above that, every church is asked to voluntarily submit their plans of giving to the general program of the United Presbyterian Church. And you know, not every Presbyterian church gives to that. You'd be surprised the churches who give nothing or very little to the general assembly or the general mission of our church. Now, that gripes me personally. I, I don't think they have a right to be called United Presbyterians, really, if they don't do that. But that's another sermon and another topic. They want to know on this little card how much we intend to give. And Mr. Bailey will write on that card that Bakerstown, First Presbyterian Church of Bakerstown, intends in 1976 to give $38,000 to the United Presbyterian General Mission Fund. $38,000, which in turn will go into a general pool and then will be redistributed to the presbyteries, to the synod, to the general assembly programs at home and abroad for missionary or what they call mission enterprise. You can read a little bit about in that small newspaper that was given to you today because that explains the more than one million dollar project which goes on within Allegheny County or Pittsburgh Presbytery. Now that's how it works. We will be giving $38,000 to that fund. In addition, your session keeps out 23 thousand other dollars, that total 61,000 that we're going to give in benevolence in 76, Lord willing, that other 23 will be used by the session 
to give to probably 30 or 40 different projects, 25 of which have all been already approved by the, the Congregation Action last week, to not only Presbyterian organizations, but organizations that are other than Presbyterian and that are doing the Lord's work, and there are some of them, you know. And this is what we'll be trying to do. But on that little card, as I start out to say, they're not going to be asking how big is our church, how wonderful we are, how blessed we are, how much indebtedness we have. They're not even going to ask whether or not we're going to pray for them. All they want to know is one thing, how much are you going to be giving to us? And we'll submit our card, and we're not critical. Because, you see, if our representative in this Connecticut, the Connectional Church, those people who sit in Camp Hill and down in Pittsburgh, in, in, in New York City, if they don't plan, if they don't know of our plans, if they don't know of amounts, we would accuse them of being irresponsible in their leadership, and they would be. They have to know the amount if they're going to do their job. Just a way of pointing out the second reason why this sermon on the amount is that the church, not only locally, but on a higher level, and the church universal, has to know the necessity, the amount of the gifts. So that leads to point number three. Each individual church has, doesn't have any opportunity to back out, it has the imperative responsibility of seeing that that money comes in. And in the case of the First Presbyterian Church of Bakerstown, that responsibility falls upon the session. Twenty-one elders, clerk of session, and the two pastors. We have the responsibility, and we can't shut it off on somebody else. It's ours. And I might add, in the First Presbyterian Church of Bakerstown, that is a tremendous task for the goal which... 167 of you approved in the congregational meeting last week for 1976 is $186,287. $186,287. That's a lot of money. Five reasons why our job is so tremendous. A. It's tremendous because, unlike other churches, we do not have much in what is called endowment. We don't. We're not in debt, praise the Lord, but we don't have much in the form of endowment. As a matter of fact, we have, as of today, $6,185.41 in endowment that is invested at savings and loan book rate of 5 to five-tenths percent. That's all we have, and that is a result of a former member who gave us a piece of property over here on Donaldson Road, gave it in 1972. We were able to sell it for $8,500. The money comes in monthly from the purchaser. We have accumulated $6,185.41. That includes the interest of that amount. In addition to it, $850 as soon as we received that gift. We tithed that. We gave 10% away. $850 went for 
a program that was being sponsored at the time in 1972, I believe it was, to keep some foreign missionaries on the field, and we gave it towards that project. And that's all the endowment we have, ladies and gentlemen. That's all that we have. We, our buildings are valued more than a million and a quarter, but that's all the endowment we have. And if we expect money to come in from any endowment, <laughs> it's just not there. Oh, we have a rental properties account. That's where we place the money that comes from the rent of our two apartments and house down here on the west side of our property. Whenever we rent a room in this building to an organization or an individual, the money goes into the income properties account, but that's strictly to keep the properties up to par. We have a Schaefer Scholarship Fund named for Elder Kirk Schaefer, Madeline Schaefer, our choir here, her husband. That money is used strictly for scholarships for young people who are pursuing education in church careers. We have two cemetery accounts that keep these two cemeteries going. They're just going. Uh, do we have a memorial fund? Yes. But other than that, that's it. We don't have any other source of income other than through gifts. Second reason our task is so big. Subtitle B. We in this church do not have money-making projects. Fourteen years ago, in some months, the session took an action discouraging organizations and classes from having money-making projects. And allow me at this time to express appreciation to those of you who have cooperated in that, because I know it's not a unanimous decision. Because many churches, you know, they are known for products that they sell. It's not the case here. Oh, we, we've lost something in the fellowship, I'm convinced of that, yes. Because when people get together to work, no matter what the cause, it does build fellowship. But in this church, when money is given to the unified budget, that's how it's given, through gifts. We have no products to sell. Therefore, we can't go out and bake more cakes or get more stationery or pass up more candy bars. If we're going to make it, the gifts come through your giving, not through what you can sell. Thirdly, the task is very great in this particular church for the simple reason we don't have any people who give great large sums of money to this church. We don't have any sugar daddies. We don't have people who sit down and write a check for five, ten, twenty thousand dollars and give it to this church. As a matter of fact, we have in this church, and the latest statistics Mr. Bailey could give me for 1974, at the end of that year we had in this congregation, which then was about 1,450 members, few more than that now, but at that time those 1,450 members comprised 466 giving units. 466 giving units. All we have in this church as far as giving units. One family, you see, may have four or five people in it, but that's one giving unit. Of those 466 giving units, the largest giver or the largest giving unit for 1974 was $2,675. Nobody gave more than that giver. $2,675. $75. Let me tell you at the other end of the scale. 
166 units, 166 units. Each one of them gave less than a dollar a Sunday. And those 166 units combined, totaled, united, did not give as much as that one giving unit that gave at the top. So you see what I'm getting at? We have approximately 300 giving units in this church that we can account for and that we can count on. The others really are of very little value. And that's who we have to call upon. We don't have anybody, and I'm very grateful for it, don't misunderstand me, because there isn't anybody in this church who demands that he has purchased the preacher or buys the program by the gift that he gives. Church is in trouble when anybody tries to do that, be he preacher or be he parishioner. We don't have that, and nobody in my 15 years has ever tried to dictate to me by the power of his pocketbook, and I'm very, very grateful for that because we can't operate under that kind of a policy. But the opposite is true. We don't have anybody to pick us up when the rest of us let us down. It requires really the hard work and the sacrificial giving and the sensitivity of about 300 giving units in Bakerstown Church. No matter how big we look, that's what it amounts to in reality. The fourth reason why we have a tremendous job is that we have too few tithers in this church. That's right. We don't have enough tithers in this church. Probably no church has it. Even the Mormons, I think, have a little trouble in that area, and you know, and you have to tithe to be able to get into that congregation. We don't have enough tithers in this church. I don't know why. We, we try to talk about it. Every new member class, I speak to it. In our premarital counseling, we talk about it. But you see, uh, we just don't have them here. If you ever want me to quit talking on money or presenting sermons like this on the amount, just start tithing, and boy, you'll stop them in a big hurry. Just think, 466 giving units. If, say, the average income per unit here would be $10,000, and I'm sure it's much higher than that, but if it were, and the people would give, as most tithers do, the total 10% to the church, that's $466,000 here. They gave half of that, 5%, $233,000. That's more than our $186,247. The fifth reason we have a difficult or tremendous task here at the church is that we do not have any highly organized, hard, driving, arm, twisting program of sophistication to go out and make you people give. Now the session is under the opinion that as long as we're doing our job, preaching the gospel, being faithful in pastoral work, providing programs, the Lord will bless. We tell the people of the need, as Dr. Lawson mentioned earlier, the people of Bakerstown will respond. That's what the elders tell me. I'm not sure I fully agree all the time, but that's the way we go. And we have no big program in the last, since 1969. On the average, we have raised the budget each year at least 94.8% of that. That's pretty good. So you see, this afternoon, nobody's going to be ringing your doorbell and interrupt your watching of the football game. Nobody's going to be calling you on the telephone. Nobody's going to be strong-arming you out here in the parking lot. 
No, about Tuesday or Wednesday, you're going to receive a little letter in the mail. It's going to have a letter. It's going to have a pledge card. And you're going to be asked to think about the amount that you are going to give. And we're asking that you fill that out in a prayerful mood and consideration for the way God has blessed you. And then you bring that next Sunday. And together we're all going to put our pledge cards in the offering plate in a celebration of thanksgiving. Five reasons why we have a tremendous job here. And that leads me into the fourth point. We preach the sermon on the amount. Simply not because God is interested in the amounts. The church must be interested. The session has to be interested. But because we think you people want to be interested in specific amounts. Jim Lawson hit it right on the right on the head of the nail today. We count upon you people. We believe in this church the easiest, simplest, most effective, powerful way that we can ask you people to support is by asking you. That's it. And this is what we're doing. We have a long way to go yet in 75. We're not meeting our budget. If we do, we have to have $5,500 a Sunday for the remaining Sundays of this year. If we're going to reach that 94.8%, we have to have $4,400 each Sunday the remainder of the year. But next year, if we're going to make it, it means that 300 giving units that we count upon must increase their giving $2 per Sunday. That's the specific. That's the amount. Let's be realistic. It's idealistic, idealistic to believe that all 300 are going to raise their giving $2 a Sunday. Can't do that. We have some people here on fixed income, some who are retired, some who have had reverses. They just can't do it. They're going to have to cut their giving. They're going to depend upon others of us in that 300 giving unit to increase ours three, four, five, six dollars a Sunday to be able to make up for what they conscientiously and in good faith cannot do. So as your pastor, as a member of the session, as the one who is preaching the sermon on the account, what we are asking is please, if you can, fill in that card, increasing your giving by two dollars per Sunday for next year. That's it. Thanks for giving me the amount of your time today. May the Lord bless us. He's given us so much. Thank you. Amen. Father, be with us. Help us as we commit ourselves anew. And now may the grace, mercy, and peace of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be and abide with you all now and forevermore. Amen.